All right, with that being said, we're going to look at our passage for today. It is in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. And many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us about his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will settle disputes among the peoples, provide arbitration for strong nations that are far away. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives, Nation will not take up sword against nation, and they will never again train for war. But each person will sit under his grapevine and under his fig tree with no one to frighten him, for the mouth of the Lord of armies has spoken. Though all the peoples each walk in the name of their gods, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we are here gathered in your presence because we know that every time we get together on Sunday morning, the mouth of the Lord speaks. Lord, you speak in the mouth of your preachers, Lord, uh, who preach your word, uh, who tell it to a next generation, what it means, and what it means for our lives. And uh, Lord, we're asking that you would help us to take you at your word and to walk in your ways and to walk in your name, Lord, and uh, that we would do this forever and ever. And we need the power of your spirit to do this in Christ's name. Amen. So we are currently in a teaching series called Future Now, where we're looking at the book of Micah. Micah is in the first part of the Bible called the Old Testament. And Micah was a, uh, a prophet, right? And he was speaking uh, what God wanted him to. He was speaking God's word. The book of Micah itself claims to be the word of God. All right, so if you, Micah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the word of the Lord that came to Micah, what he saw. Okay, so Micah saw this vision, and, uh, and then he spoke it uh, to uh, the people. He was given a vision of the future, and as we've been talking about, uh, his vision was, warning God's people about the judgment, and then there was hope, okay? And uh, chapters 4 and 5, where we find ourselves, are filled with hope, right? There is so much hope, the two chapters of it. So God wants us to know, right in the center of this book, that God is on the side of hope. God is on the side of grace. God is appealing to his people, stop, come back to me, return to me. Um, But Micah sees this word of hope in a vision. And what is the vision? Well, we just read it. It's mountains. It's streams. It's farms. It's fruit. So we are going to just, we're just going to observe the details of this vision for a minute and talk about what it means, uh, and then we'll we'll, kind of bring it home. But the first thing that Micah saw were mountains. Look at at what it says in verse 1. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. 
So what did he see? He saw mountains. Yeah, he saw mountains. Mountains are uh, considered to be spiritual places. I mean, people come to Berkeley Springs because of, of the mountains here to, to get in touch with God or, what, or whatever, you know. Um, I mean, this is all across all cultures. Uh, virtually, if, if someone lives in a place where there are mountains, right, they're going to be worshiping, they're going to be connecting with God up there. Um, there's, a, there's a temple called um, Tang Kalat. It is a Buddhist temple in Myanmar, and here it is, and a picture of it. Imagine going to church there. Um, yeah, it's got 777 steps to the top. I don't know about you guys, but I don't know, about 100 steps in, I'm reconsidering my faith. I don't know if Buddhism is really for me. You know, I don't really know. I'm going to need some serious spiritual energy uh, from somebody on the way up. But uh, you see what I'm saying. My, my brother um, was in the Air Force. He was stationed in Alaska, and me and my mom went to uh, visit him one time. Absolutely beautiful. And on the flight out, the pilot said, hey, it's a beautiful day, and I'm talking for hundreds of miles. You could just see the Alaskan mountain range. It was just phenomenal. He said, we're going to fly past Mount McKinley. And we literally, we could look out the wingtip, and right there was the summit of Mount McKinley. It was the tallest mountain in North America. And everybody from this side of the plane was over on this side of the plane, and everyone was taking pictures, and it was uh, it was amazing, but it was bigger than all the other mountains. It, it stood out. And that's what's going on in Micah uh, chapter 4, verse 1, is Micah has this vision of one mountain that stands above the rest, and it is the mountain of the Lord's house. This is referring to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the Jewish people uh, worship God on a mountain at a temple in Jerusalem, and they believe that that was where heaven touched down on earth, where they could somehow, by God's grace, get back into his presence, get back into uh, the Garden of Eden, uh, so to speak. And uh, it was where they believed that God dwelt in the midst of the people, and he reigned over all the nations at the temple. So that's the mountains. And there's also streams. If you look at the end of verse 1 there, Micah chapter 4, verse 1, it says that peoples will stream to it. Peoples are going to stream to uh, this mountain. And, uh, man, we live in a beautiful place. Every week I'm like, man, I can't believe I get to live here. This is, this is amazing. This is a little bit better than the inner city of Richmond. Um, visually speaking, that is, and in a lot of other ways. But um, we got a lot of creeks, rivers, streams. Last Friday, our community group, uh, we went down to uh, the river, down to a river lot on the Potomac, and we were grilling and camping and fishing, hanging out, having a good time, and just, it's just beautiful. Right, uh, we were at the we were at the river. Uh, we all know that that streams don't flow uphill, but here they do. Right, and uh, the reason is because it is a stream of peoples. Now, if you notice that it says peoples, right? That's not an error in the Bible or anything like that's not a typo. Um, uh, peoples is plural there because it's referring to different nations. It's referring to non-Jewish people, right? Gentiles. Um, that in our world there are different uh, ethnicities, different, different languages, and these are referred to as people groups. For, for instance, in Myanmar, where that, that Buddhist temple is, there are over 149 different ethnic linguistic people groups, distinct ethnicities in one um, nation. And this is important because uh, this passage uh, occurs over and over again, peoples, nations, 
going on to worship God. And where is this stream flowing to? It's flowing to the temple. You have tons of non-Jewish people that are flowing like a river uphill to worship God um, at this temple. So the vision is the temple at the top, the pinnacle of the entire world, and everybody is streaming up there. All right, you also have farms. Farms. If you look at verse 3, it says, He, God, will settle disputes among many peoples, arguments, fights, wars, provide arbitration for strong nations that are far away. They will beat their swords into plows. That's where I got farms. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up a sword against nation, and they will never again, never again, train for war. So all these nations, peoples going up to the temp- temple, and everyone's cool with each other. How about that? Now, what typically happens when you get a bunch of humans together? Drama, right? Somebody acts out, somebody gets in a fight, somebody uh, cuts somebody off in traffic or, or whatever it might be. Um, a while back, uh, me and my wife went to watch um, the University of Virginia and West Virginia University play basketball in Charlottesville, right? Uh, Virginia, I was living in Richmond at the time, and uh, both teams were ranked at the time, and it was a packed house. I'm talking thousands of people. It was awesome. And West Virginia started giving it to them. They, they started to pull ahead. And wouldn't you know, somebody from West Virginia stood up, coonskin hat on, and said, let's go, Mountaineer. And I was like, yeah, that's my people right there, right? right but you know, right, people fight over stuff like that. At sporting events, you get a bunch of people together, there's bound to be um, something happen. And thank God it didn't there that day, at least not from what I saw. But that's not what's going on in this vision. You have immigrants and refugees coming from all over the world, no issues. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning hooks. Their weapons get turned into um, instruments to feed each other and to bless each other. Right? There's, there's uh, war to peace, hostility to reconciliation. There's community, family. It's all love. That's what's going on here. There's also fruit. Also fruit in this passage. Look at verse 4. Each person will sit under his grapevine and under his fig tree with no one to frighten him, for the mouth of the Lord of armies has spoken. When we uh, went to the river uh, last Friday, I was sitting down there by the campfire, and uh, I was just marveling at the poplar trees. The straight, you know, poplar tree, super tall. I mean, they're just, they're down there just loving life, right? The maple trees, I don't know what type of maple they were, but I'm talking, you, couldn't even, you can't even wrap your arm around. They're just massive down there uh, along the river. And that's what's going on with these, these nations. They're, they're thriving. They're going up to the temple, and they're bearing fruit uh, in their lives. Uh, vines and figs, back in that time, were a major source of income. They were like, that was the good stuff. That was like the costly, expensive um, food or commodities, uh, the fruits of the land. But vine, symbolically in the Bible, uh, is a symbol of God's blessing. Uh, You can see that in the books of the Kings and uh, Zechariah. So vines and figs are a concrete picture of everyone having what they need and way more than they deserve. 
You see what, see what I'm saying? Um, so that's the vision. You guys, you guys got it? There's a mountain with the temple at the top, and all the nations are going up there, and there's no issues, there's no problem. There's peace and reconciliation, and everyone has way more than they deserve. That is the vision. So the question is, what does this mean? What is the interpretation uh, of this? We, uh, we went to the uh, Virginia Museum of Fine Arts on our uh, vacation recently, where we were staying right across the street uh, as the museum, and went in there. They have a, a collection of Fabergé eggs, and uh, those things are awesome. You talk about some uh, artwork and craftsmanship and the detail and, and, and intricacy of these. I actually have a picture of one of them. Check this out. It's just absolutely uh, beautiful. And this passage is like that. These eggs got all kinds of like little stuff inside of them, right? You open them up, there's all kinds of stuff. And see, this passage has levels to it, right? And we're going to look at the outside of the egg real quick. Um, the immediate context of chapter 4 is chapter 3, obviously, and chapter 5. And we just looked at chapter 3. At the end of chapter 3 of the book of Micah, is God, uh, Micah is warning the people of the coming judgment upon God's temple. He said it's going to be destroyed, right? And that happened. That literally happened in history. Look it up. 586 B.C., the, the nation of Babylon came in and, and burnt the thing to the ground. It's the death of the temple. But literally, in the next verse, chapter 3, verse 12, the temple dies. Chapter 4, verse 1 the temple somehow, all of a sudden, is the cream of the crop, that the Lord is supreme over all nations and everyone is going up and worshiping God at the temple. How in the world does that happen, right? Look what it says in verse 1 again of chapter 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains, will be raised above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. So chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 4, verse one is the death and resurrection of the temple. That's what it is. At the very center of this book, you have a death and resurrection. Right? And, and so the question is, when is this going to happen? When is, when is the temple going to be exalted and supreme uh, over all the world? Right? Well, Micah says it's going to happen in the last days. It's a vision. Micah sees this vision of the future in like 700 B.C. He sees this vision of the temple. All right, so that's chapter 3 and 4. Turn to page chapter 5. The vision gets clear. All right, the vision gets clear. Verse 2 of chapter 5 says this. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, I was just talking about the town of Bethlehem. You are small among the clans of Judah, but one will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. So Micah says, hey, listen, you'll know when the temple is... Um, Above all, when this king comes from Bethlehem, an eternal king. This is what all the prophets saw uh, coming in the future, all of them. Looked forward and saw this king coming to whom all nations would bow to, all nations uh, would obey. This is what the whole Bible is about. And that's the outside of the egg. And all the Jews knew this. And... When Jesus was born, the wise men came from far away, nations far away, 
come and ask him, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Oh, and then the puppet king at the time and all Jerusalem, man, they were, in a, they, they were skirmishing everywhere. Uh, and uh, King Herod asked the priests and prophets, where is he who's going to be born king of the Jews? And they said, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, in Bethlehem. And Matthew, Jesus' disciple, quotes Micah chapter 5 regarding the birthplace of Jesus and said, this is the one. This is the king who was to come, this baby who was born um, in Bethlehem. So if you're tracking with me here, the last days began when that baby cried in the manger in Bethlehem. That's when Micah chapter 4 began. So that's, that's the inside of the egg. That's what happens when you open it. I got the inside of that egg, too. It's pretty cool. All right? It was made for, I think, a prince in, in Russia. But you open that egg up, there's all kinds of stuff in there. So when we, when we, 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 open, the, the, we open up Micah chapter 4, it, gets, it goes deeper and deeper. And we're just scratching the surface. But the vision that Micah saw began when Jesus was born. Right? That temple that was exalted and all the peoples going up to it, what it really means is the birth of Christ the life of Christ, and, and, and all that. When the shepherds came to worship Jesus, that's when it started. When the wise men came, these nations from far away, and to worship Jesus, that's when uh, it started. Here's what this means. This means that Jesus is the temple that Michael saw, Micah saw. The temple on the summit is Jesus, and that's what Jesus himself said. These are big claims. Jesus claimed to be the meeting place between heaven and earth. John chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture. And the statement Jesus, is made, Jesus made, what scripture? What scripture did they believe about the temple being raised? Well, scriptures like Micah, Micah chapter 4. You see, the temple, the place where God dwells, the place where heaven came down is Jesus. So heaven came down in Jesus Christ so that we could have a way back to God so that we could enter into God's presence, so we can know who he really is and know who we are. And, and just look at the life of Christ. What did he do? Everywhere he went, he spread life. Everywhere he went, heaven came down and things got restored and renewed and people got healed, and demons got cast out, the truth was spoken, love was given, people, people were accepted, and, and what do we do to him? The best person ever, what, what happened to him? We murdered him. That tells you something about the nature of humanity. Right? That when heaven came down, when life came into the world, our swords came out and our spears came out directed towards God uh, himself. You see, the temple was destroyed. That's Jesus. And Jesus Christ died at the cross so that we would put our swords down. Jesus Christ at the cross substituted himself for his enemies. Jesus died at the cross to make us his enemies his friends. He died to reconcile us to God, to bring us back to God. He rose. He rose from the dead. So, according to Jesus, Micah chapter 4 has already started. So, 
Micah looks out and he says, in the last days, this temple is going to be the cherry on the top. So the last day, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Think about that. So, you know, when you go on a trip somewhere, uh, just like we did uh, on our vacation, you know, someone, the kids, one of the kids always says, man, are we there yet? Don't you just love that? Are we there yet? So, so what I'm saying is we're there yet. We are there. We are in the last days. God, is, God has done this. Let, here's what this word of the Lord is saying to you personally. This happened. Jesus is like a real person. Think about that. You have to be, you have to lose your mind to not believe that Jesus was like a real historical person. Francis Schaeffer was a Christian philosopher, teacher. He said that Jesus' cross was so real that if you got close to it and you put your hands on it, you would get splinters in your hands. That's how real Jesus is. That's how real his crucifixion was. Everybody knows that, that Christ was crucified. Jesus was buried in like a real tomb. Everybody knows that. He was buried in a, in, a, in a real tomb. And guess what? He was like really not there three days later. What do you make of that? He, see, the only thing that makes sense of that is he really rose. So whether you like it or not, whether you claim to be a Christian or not, it doesn't matter whether you feel like it's real or not. It doesn't matter. Christ is risen. That temple is exalted above all gods, above all spiritualities, above all kings, above all rulers. Christ is risen, and he is Lord, and he is sovereign. He is supreme over all. He is the pinnacle of all the earth. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for our lives? That's what it means what does it mean for you? Here's what it means. It means the future is now. The future is now. As you, as a person, as people, as you go to Jesus, God takes you like a brick, and he takes the mortar, and he builds the temple out of you. Right? This is what 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 4 and 5 says. As you come to Christ... God is building uh, his temple. Look at what it says, 1 Peter 2, 4-5. As you come to him, that's Christians, as you come to Jesus, he's the living stone, resurrected, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house. See that? The house of the Lord. Are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here's what that means. This means that in Christ, as you come to Jesus, you are the temple. I want you to think about this. This is, this is mind-blowing. We become the place, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes the place where heaven touches down and where God dwells amongst his people. It is so beautiful. Listen, you are the people that Michael, Micah saw. All these peoples flowing like a river up to the mountain. You, you are those people. We are the people's nations who stream to Jesus for salvation, to belong to God's people, to get into this river of salvation that has been going on uh, from the very beginning. Let me, let me ask you a question. What if this vision that Micah saw of all these nations and these peoples coming up, what if he saw you in the crowd? What if that's talking about you? 
What if the vision that Micah saw is this room and this church and the church of Jesus Christ throughout all the world? We don't have to guess about it. It is. It just is. This is what God has said. The vision that Micah saw uh, has been going on for a while now, but it won't be complete until Jesus returns. So the last days began with the birth of Jesus, and they end on the last day when he returns and he touches down and brings heaven finally uh, down to earth with him. And we know that's true because there's still a lot of division in the world. There's still a lot of swords and a lot of spears and a lot of fighting and a lot of bloodshed and a lot of, um, you know, just chaos and hatred. When we look out in the world, all is not right in the world, is it? And things are messed up. When we look in our own lives, right, we see, man, I, I wish I would stop doing that thing. I wish I could be more self-controlled or, or, or whatever it is. We have things that we keep doing that we know are wrong that bring shame into our lives and, and, and pain. So the question is, what should we do when we look around the world and we see all the chaos? What should we do when we look at our lives and we see, well, all is not right in my own life? Well, we have a choice to make, and the choice is between Christ or chaos, and that choice is everybody's in here this morning. All right, just like verse 5 of Micah chapter 4 says, we're going to walk in the name of our God, though the nations walk in the name of their gods. What is your choice? Everybody's got to make that choice. You have heard the good news of the gospel this morning, the good news of what God has done in his son, the Lord Jesus, how Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. What's your choice? Do you choose Jesus or do you choose just to walk in the names of the gods of this world, whatever they might be, entertainment, sex, drugs, materialism, career, whatever your identity is? But if you choose Christ, if you choose Christ, Here's what choosing Christ looks like. It looks like waiting. Because we are waiting for all of God's promises to be fulfilled. God still has more things he is going to do in this world. We're still waiting for Christ uh, to uh, return. And there are all kinds of ways to wait, aren't there? We could wait pessimistically, couldn't we? We could wait around as if none of this were true as if none of these things uh, were happening. God didn't do any of these things. Christ really isn't risen uh, 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 from the dead. We could wait around as if none of what Micah says about the Jesus or the church is true. We could wait around like he isn't in control, like he really doesn't know what he's doing um, in our lives or in the world. But here's the deal. He is in control, and he does know what he's doing. This is, this is Christianity 101. 101 is like an introduction introductory level class. God is smarter than us. You got to get that down. God is smarter than us. He is all wise and all knowing. He knows what he is doing. Right? So if there's a God out there who's big enough to doubt, get, at, get mad at, question, then maybe he might know more than you. Just think about that. I mean, who are we? I have trouble doing math. God invented math. That's why it works. Um, there's no other explanation for that. So if there's a God big enough out there to question, maybe there's a God uh, uh, who actually knows uh, what he's doing. He does. He knows exactly what he's doing. 
And knowing this helps us to suffer well. Knowing this helps us when we go through trials, when we go through difficulty, we have loss in our lives, we have pain, sickness, whatever it might be. We need to remember the prayer that we teach the kids. God is good. God is great. I only thank you for this food. Whenever you're going through something, whenever you're struggling, whenever you've got uh, suffering, difficulty, you need to remember God is good. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter if it's death in the world. God is still good. This is why we have an answer to death. Christ rose from the dead. Right? He came to suffer with us. When you remember God is great, he's able to do something um, in this situation. My story, my own personal story, is that some of the most painful things that have ever happened to me, God has worked the most good out of those. I want you to think about the most painful thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life, God brought the most good out of. That's what he does. The cross and the resurrection. The cross was horrible, but the most good came out of that. But also, some of the dumb things I've done, some of the dumbest things I've ever done, God even brought good out of those. Now, that's not an excuse to be dumb. Or to follow my example? No. That's just an example to to trust God even more. Because he's that good. He's that gracious. He is able to bring, he's able to bring redemption out of our mistakes. God is at work in the world, in our everyday lives, bringing about his purposes and his plans. See, God uses all things in our lives to mold us and to shape us, to refine us, to make us more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his ultimate purpose and plan. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 puts it like this. You rejoice in this. This is how we ought to be. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Is that you? Are you rejoicing? Thanking God, not necessarily for the trial itself, but for, what he, for who he is and what he can do and what he is doing. You rejoice in your trials and difficulty and pain so that you're going through these things for God's purpose so that the proven character of your faith more valuable than gold which though perishable is refined by fire may result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, God is doing Micah chapter 4 right now. That there are people from all nations that are streaming to Jesus right now, worshiping the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. There are, the places where Christianity is growing the fastest are uh, Africa and Asia. I want you to listen to this. In the year 2000, there were 814 million Christians that lived in Europe and North America. While only 660 million Christians called Africa and Asia home. But now, 20 years later... 838 million live in the global north, while almost 1.1 billion Christians live in Africa and Asia alone. It went from 660 million 20 years later to 1.1 billion in Africa and Asia. So despite what it might feel like or what you might think you see or what you hear, God is building his church now. God is fulfilling his promises now in this country, in this state, in this community. 
I mean, what do you think's going on right now? This is what's happening right now, even in this room. I'll give you an example. Someone asked me after community group uh, on Wednesday night, hey, when's the next time you guys are doing baptisms? Because they want to follow Christ. They want to come up to this temple, learn his ways, and be baptized, and be his disciple, and join, uh, be a part of God's temple. Right? That's Micah chapter 4 right there. We could wait pessimistically. We could also wait ignorantly. We could wait as if all this stuff about the last days is for some time way in the future, but not now. Like maybe it's way for the nation of Israel, way in the future. God's going to do something for them. People who think like this are, are like super into end time, the end times, man. That's their deal. They're always talking about the end times, last days, constantly looking at the news and they're seeing God doing all kinds of crazy stuff in the news all the time, right? But here's the deal. God is doing this now. That's what we just saw, right? This passage is talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's talking about people from all nations, Jews, Gentiles, all peoples coming to Jesus. It's talking about you. It's talking about me. It's talking about this room and you know what? Micah chapter 4 doesn't happen all at once, like a flood. It doesn't happen like a flood. It happens like a stream that's been flowing since that baby was born in Bethlehem. It's been flowing, just steady flowing, 2,000 years, right? God is patient. Why, why is God's promises not come all at once? Here's why. Because of you. God wanted you to jump in the stream. God is patient with you. God is, kind. God is kind with you. He's been waiting on you. God didn't want you to get the judgment. God brought you here this morning because he cares about you. And he wants you to know Jesus. He wants you to know his salvation, his great love for you. He wants to bring you to himself. He wants you to experience heaven here on earth in Christ. He wants you to be a, a block in the temple. You know what? God has a lot more people he wants to invite. That's what's going on in this passage. People are saying, come on, let's go up to the temple. God has got a lot more people out here. This is why he's patient. And you know what? We got a lot of his ways to learn. We got a whole lot more to learn. He wants you to get ready to meet him, to get prepared, right, so that you can enjoy it way more when he comes. You're going to understand a whole lot more. Your heart's going to be right. Your heart's going to be ready for him when he returns. This is what 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay. But look at this. He is patient with you, not wanting anybody to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Repentance just means turning away from sin and turning to Christ. Have you done that? He's waiting on you. Now's the time. Today's the day. All right, today I'm going to... I'm going to join this crowd going up to the temple. So if you choose Christ, it looks like waiting, but also looks like walking. Five times the word walk occurs in the Hebrew text of this passage. So the nations are going up to the temple that they might walk in the paths of the Lord. Right Now, something jumped out at me as I was looking at this. Right? Here's what I want you to notice. When it says all the nations are going up to, to walk in his paths, they are the paths of the Lord. They are his paths, right? It means that he walked first. 
See, the paths of the Lord are first and foremost about what He has done for us. They're about what God has done for us in Christ. They're about the fact that Jesus grew up and walked out and did His ministry for three years of miracles and healing, teaching. Right, it's about heaven coming down in Christ, but also about the fact that He walked up to that cross. Right? And He substituted Himself there for all of our sins to bring us back to God to accomplish our redemption and our salvation. It's also about the fact that he walked out of that grave three days later. These are the paths of the Lord. See, every other religion um, gets that flip-flop or they don't have it. Every other religion is about the paths that you must walk in, not Christianity. Christianity is utterly unique in the world religions in this sense. It's first and foremost about the paths that Christ walked about what God has done, then it's about what he asks of you, right? That's, this is the grace of God. God is not saying, hey, you need to walk perfectly, and then you can come into my presence. No. He's saying, I know you haven't walked perfectly. Matter of fact, you've become my enemy, but I'm going to go to that cross for you to melt your heart with my love so that you become my friend. That he loves first. He goes first. He chooses first. He calls first. And what are the paths of the Lord? They are the paths of peace in this passage. Swords to plows. That we are to walk peacefully. That's the ways of the Lord. Right? From a lack of love to love. You know, and this vision has all kinds of different people going up to worship the Lord. And there's no issues. And it's talking about the church. There's no issues. You might be thinking, well, I've been a part of a church and there's always issues. I know. That's why we've got to walk patiently and peacefully and kindly and walk in love uh, towards one another. Look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 18. Everything is from God. He goes first. His paths. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of of reconciliation. God has made peace with us through the blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ought to seek to be at peace with everyone in this room as far as possible. That's what it looks like. It looks, to, looks like seeking people out, taking the initiative to love them and care for them and uh, to reconcile with them, to make sure there, are, there aren't any issues between you uh, and someone else. And that's exactly what uh, the end of this uh, chapter, Micah chapter 4, verse 5, means when it says, we're going to walk in the name of the Lord our God. Walking in the name of the Lord our God means our walk looks like his walk. Jesus' walk was a walk of reconciliation, of seeking to squash the beef and to bring people uh, back to God. Right? So... We are to, ought to display his character in our life. That's what it looks like to choose Christ. Lastly, it looks like welcoming. If you choose Christ, you've got to be a welcomer. You've got to be a greeter. You've got to be an inviter. Look at verse 2 of Micah chapter 4, verse 2. And many nations will come and say, come on, let's go up to the mountain of the, uh, of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his path, for instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So this stream of people are uh, welcoming one another, saying, come on, man, let's do it. 
Let's go. It's going up. All right, so who, who is doing the welcoming here? Who's doing the welcoming? You are. If I got the interpretation right, you guys are. You guys are the ones saying, Micah looked out and saw you. Man, them people are welcoming. Everybody up in that church is saying, come on, man, let's go. Let's go, right? Let's do that. Listen, the best way to welcome someone to be a part of the church is to love them as a human being, to treat them like a real person. Listen, no one is going to feel welcome if they feel like a project. If I just roll up on somebody, I don't, I, don't, I don't know them. I don't know them whatsoever, and I just start preaching at them, right? Uh, Micah, I used to do crazy stuff like that. And I got wiser, right? Um, Micah chapter 4 is not saying, hey, listen, what you got to do is you got to take the Bible and start preaching at somebody. No, it's, it's, it's an invitation. Come on. Let's go. Let's do this, right? All you got to do, do is just love someone, just take an interest in them, pray for them, Wait for the time when it's right and say, hey, listen. Hey, me and some friends of mine, we're going over to the river on Friday night. We're going to be grilling. We're going to be fishing. We're going to be camping. We're hanging out. Um, you want to come? Send them a text message. You want to hang out? It's that simple. That's all you got to do. All you got to do is be like, hey, listen, man, I would love to invite you uh, out to our church sometime. I love it, man. It's great, man. I think you really, really enjoy it. That's all you got to do. And just be patient with people. Give them some space sometimes. Just just. Just let God work on them. God, God moves first, right? And we do all of these things, waiting, walking, welcoming, trusting for God to do this. We do this, believing this is going down right now, right? This is happening right now in our own community. The, the words of these ancient, this ancient prophet are being fulfilled, right? And God will do it. He is faithful, and that's what we'll respond to now.